Tere, and welcome to History of Estonia podcast, episode 19, The Swedish Era, part 2. In this episode, we take a look at the new administrative changes made during the Swedish era, and changes to agriculture and trade. If anyone would like to reach out to me, you can email me at sparsleyw at gmail.com, or you can find me on Twitter, at Parsley Roman numeral 2. Rearrangements made by the Swedes in Livonia. The reduction caused growing discontent among landlords with Swedish state authorities. Several Livonian noblemen called for a boycott of the king's orders. In the book that I use as a guide to produce, to produce this podcast, named History of Estonia, copywritten in 1997, describes one nobleman, Johann Reinhold Patkul, an educated district magistrate known for his spiteful character, numerous legal proceedings against his brother, and maltreatment of servants, became leader of the Livonian nobility's opposition. In 1695, Potkul and his collaborators were put on trial at a special court in Stockholm. They were accused of insulting the king, criminal writing, and rebellious activities. Potkul was sentenced to death and his property confiscated. He succeeded in escaping abroad on the eve of the Great Northern War, in which he became one of the fiercest plotters against Sweden. To break the opposition of local nobility, Carl XI named the capable and loyal Jacob Johann Hastfer governor-general. Representatives from the Swedish government were unyielding in their demands and were able to carry out the reduction. To punish the nobility, the king dissolved the Livonian nobility's council of district magistrates and made the diets of the nobility subordinate to the governor-general. There were also no more assessors named from among district magistrates in the high court. Therefore, the ability of the Livonian noblemen to be self-governing was practically abolished. Swedish royal power succeeded in breaking the backbone of the Livonian nobility's power to self-govern by the end of the 17th century. In 1694, a new administrative division was in place in Livonia. The purpose of this was to fit district borders to the Estonian-Latvian ethnic border. The border of the two districts ran somewhat further north from the present national border, leaving the town of Volga on the Latvian side, which is of course today on the Estonian side. The reduction brought about significant changes for the peasants. The Swedish royal power had attempted to bring the status of the peasants closer to that of the peasants in Sweden. But by this period of time, these attempts remained unrealized. Unlike Swedish peasants, who were free and even represented in Parliament, serfdom was preserved in the Baltic provinces. In 1645, the new organization of land exploitation issued by the Estonian governor-general Gustav Oxenstierna confirmed serfdom. The attachment of peasants to the soil in North Estonia. In 1668, Governor-General Klaus Tot of Livonia published an order of land policy, which also declared the status of peasants as serfs. The amount of statute labor was fixed by the will of the landlord, and it increased with the growth of manor fields, 
So until that time, living under Swedish rule had worsened rather than improved the situation of the peasants. With the reduction, a large part of private manors went back to the state, and the power of landlords over peasants diminished. When the manors were taken over, the peasants were called together and were told that from then on, they were subjects of the king only. As state authorities were interested in increasing the income from the crown's lands, they could not allow over-exploitation of the peasants. To ensure this, a thorough evaluation and mapping of the lands accompanied the reduction, and after that, the amount of statute labor was in conformity with the cultural economic capacity of the farms. In the reduced manners, something called registers of sockage holdings were introduced, in which all the peasants' duties towards the manors were fixed. Precise fixation of duties restricted the power of the manor stewards. District bailiffs, officials appointed by the state, started to police the lands, replacing the judges of district courts from the nobility. Peasants were given the rights and opportunity to bring charges against tenants or stewards of an estate for a violation of existing laws, even to the king himself. Suspicious, probably for good reason, of local Baltic, Baltic Germans, Estonians often undertook long journeys to Stockholm in order to present their petitions and written complaint, complaints to state offices. Improvements in the lives of peasants have often been recalled as good old Swedish times. During Swedish rule, Baltic landlords were still predominantly Germans. Swedish grand noblemen who acquired manors in Estonia and Livonia usually chose to live in their homeland, renting their manors to local Germans. Although some landlords of Russian, French, and even Scottish origin are, are known from the early Swedish period, all of which were soon Germanized. Local nobility was characterized by arrogance and class pride. Conflicts with town citizens when the latter wore fancy clothes or traveled in more luxurious coaches, were fairly frequent. In the 17th century, the type of clothes a certain class of people was to wear, the number of guests to invite to their parties, and the sorts of food and drinks to serve were, prescri were prescribed strictly. Therefore, among the Livonian noblemen, who were degraded to the status of tenant farmers, and to a great extent deprived of their right to have their say in the country's government, felt offended. During the Great Northern War, Russian Tsar Peter I skillfully manipulated the nobility's change of heart caused by the reduction in his own interest, promising to restore their former privileges. Thus, Peter the Great gained surprisingly quick support from the Baltic German nobility. By the late 17th century, the number of manor houses reached over 1,000. This number remained at the same level, not counting later auxiliaries or dairy farms, until the beginning of the 20th century. Landlords emphasized grain as the main source of income, making Estonia the northernmost country to export grain. Rye was, however, the most common crop. The traditional three-field system dominated tillage both in, ma in manors 
and peasants' farms. Fields between farms were divided into long, narrow strips. Oxen were used to predominantly as beasts of burden. Quite a few cows were kept as well. Due to the poor transport infrastructure, it was possible to produce milk for sale in suburban manors only. The large amount of stones in the fields hindered the increase of grain production. Stone clearing began in farmlands, but also in manors starting in, uh, starting in Muhu and Sarama. At first, the stones were simply gathered into piles. Later, they were used to make stone fences. The crop usually depended on fertilizations. As usually less cows were kept in manors, the crop yields were even better from the fields of peasants because of the advantage of fertilized fields as a result from the cattle. In turn, the manors compensated by increasing the cultivation area, which, which depend on uh, peasant labor. While the number of fields cultivated by peasants was four times bigger than those of manors before the Livonian War, it was reduced, reduced drastically by the end of the 17th century. This, of course, brought about an increase of statute labor performed by peasants. Statute labor became the most important duty of peasants. It was divided into so-called harness duty and foot duty. Harness duty was the most difficult for farm households. It was generally required to send a man with a horse or a pair of oxen and a harness to the manor for three to six days a week for the average farm. If there were urgent seasonal work, such as construction, carting dung, burning fields, etc. In the manors, peasants were forced to carry out additional labor. In winter, the most difficult task was, was manor carting. For example, it could mean peasants in southeast Estonia were forced to transport grain to Tallinn, Pernu, or Riga, treks of over 150 to 250 kilometers long. In addition to statute labor in the manor, peasants had to give the landlord a portion of the farm's agriculture and goods production as payment in kind. According to the law, noblemen also had more rights to the woods than peasants. In the second half of the 17th century, peasants were forbidden to hunt elk, wild boar, and roe under the threat of corporal punishment. However, peasants were forced to participate in bear and wolf hunts as drovers, meaning they were forced to drive the beast towards the hunters. Estonian waters were still rich in fish. Significantly, big catches came from Lake Pepsi. For the Russians living on its coast, fishing was the main source of livelihood, and they dominated local fishing. However, the, the poaching of fish in other inland bodies of water upset Swedish authorities. Compared with the Middle Ages, the role of apiaries, which is an area where bees are kept, diminished by a considerable extent. The late 16th and 17th centuries brought about great changes to Estonian towns. Up to that time, small inland towns were able to participate in trade, but new circumstances offered possibilities for lively economic activities at seaports only. Transit trade between Russia and Western Europe, which had played a significant role in the development of Estonian towns, now proceeded through two water routes, 
via the port of Archangel and the White Sea, and to a lesser extent via Narva and the Gulf of Finland, and one land trade route from Pskov to Riga via Vestslina or Aluxne. Therefore, the 17th century meant economic prosperity for Narva. Tallinn maintained its position as well, but could no longer stave off the rise of border towns. The situation in Tartu, a former import trading center, deteriorated and the town lost much of its glory. Parnu, as well as Hopsalud and Kodersari, were only of minor importance as centers of export. During the Middle Ages, towns acted rather independently in their economic activities. However, state control gradually took over more aspects of such activities and and subordinated them to state interests. Only Tallinn preserved its traditional independence fixed in town's bylaws, and for some time even continued to mint its own coins. As the Swedish central authorities were especially interested in Narva, the town was more dependent on the state. It was even discussed whether to name Narva as the second capital of the Swedish state. The town council of Tartu and Pernu also preserved their rights and principle, but due to economic problems and resulting conflicts, they were subordinated to the direct supervision of the governor-general. At this point, currency was minted in Riga only. Other towns were enfiefed to some powerful noble family, thus becoming totally dependent on them. The appearance and legal status of Viliandi, a former member of the Hanseatic League, suffered from an especially significant decline. Although the population fell in other towns aside from Tallinn and Narva, By the end of the Swedish rule, some 6% of the total population was urban, a high figure at the time. This could also be the reason why the number of towns in Estonia did not increase during Swedish rule. Besides Swedish ships, those of England and Holland increased their activity in the Baltic Sea. Although most of the trade between England, Holland, and Russia went through the White Seas, a number of Englishmen and Dutchmen also settled in Narva. The English even had their own clergy in Narva. The role of Russian merchants in Narva remained significant. The economic boom in early modern Western Europe also brought about growing demands for various foodstuffs, as well as other goods like shipbuilding material. Estonian ports met the demands as as local and imported goods from Russia were exported. The biggest demand was for that of grain, which were dried in local barns. Grain made up two-thirds of trade, sometimes as high as 85% of Tallinn's exports. In the 1690s, the high level of exports before the Livonian War was exceeded twofold. This is why the Baltic countries were called the granary of the Swedish state. Flax was another important article exported to the West. However, as flax was grown only at a small scale in Estonia, much of it came from Russia. Hemp was also exported from Russia. Narva was the main port handling exports for flax and hemp. 
Local products such as tar, birch, spar, boards, and planks, alongside other goods necessary for shipbuilding, were also exported. Among Russian goods, the importance of fur diminished in Europe, but export of leather increased due to, due to the demands of shoes. Salt was the most imported, important imported article. The and Tallinn remained the main storage site for where salt was shipped to Russia and Finland. Salt was acquired abroad in exchange for grain usually. The import of various metal goods, luxury spices, and alcohol continued. Tobacco, writing paper, and various fruits were new newly imported goods. In the economic life of towns, shopkeepers were speci uh, who specialized in a specific merchandise, such as wine, woolen cloth, foodstuff, etc., served an important purpose. Peasant, sho peasant shopkeepers, which sold essential commodities to other peasants and exchanged them for agricultural products, had the widest range of customers. In all towns except the multinational Narva, German merchants dominated. The rise of an Estonian to the position of an influential merchant was a great exception. Knowing this, the career of Puli Hans, an Estonian merchant in Tartu, who became a citizen and a member of the Great Guild, is especially remarkable. Besides trading, crafts remained an important field of activity for townspeople. In the 17th century, traditions that had developed earlier began to flourish. The, the relations among masters, journeymen, and apprentices were precisely regulated. The organization of guilds became stricter than before. According to the craft order enforced in Tallinn, only the craftsmen belonging to a guild were allowed to work in the trade. The number of guilds grew sometimes by the specialization from a larger branch. At least three masters of such a specialty were required to form a new guild. In the case of need, masters in small towns were included as members of the appropriate guild in Tala, Talent, or Riga. In 1675, St. Olaf's Guild, which at the time included many craftsmen of Estonian origin, was closed. German masters refused to take them into the, into the Knuts Guild, rendering a large part of the former guild members to commoners without the right of a citizen. Such a stiff attitude of Germans was a reaction to the increased presence of Estonians and their roles in towns. The Germans fought to preserve their leading position, though remaining a minority in population in Tallinn and other towns. Larger enterprises and manufacturers based on production from manual labor represented another form of the crafts industry. Brickyards and lime kilns were the oldest among them. In the 16th century, sawmills were also built. The De La Gardi family owned the Huti glass factory, derived from the German word glashut, glass chamber, which was a new type of business. In the middle of the 17th century, glass for windows, bottles, bowls, and others were made there. Narva was the primary center for manufacturing. The enterprises process uh, processing the hemp and flax 
exported uh, from Russia for re-export were successful. The The Narva Copper Works made sheets and plates from copper exported from Sweden. Timber from Ingria was processed into planks and boards in the local sawmills. There were copper works in Tallinn as well, though in 1664, one was rebuilt into a paper mill using wood scraps as raw material. The famine of 1695 and 1697, the so-called Great Famine, was the most devastating to occur in Estonia, and it remained in the memories of the people for a long time. In 1694, the climate was unfavorable for crops. The following summer was cold and rainy, thus hay could not be made, and thus the rye would neither bloom nor ripen. An early frost in autumn destroyed the summer crop. In some places, there was not even enough seed grain. March and April in 1696 were very cold months, and it rained throughout the summer months. The crop failure was even bigger than in, the, than in the previous year. In the spring, peasants began dying of hunger, and it continued unabated throughout the year. The spring of 1697 revealed the many corpses from under the melting snow. Orphans and the elder, elderly had almost no hope of survival. Desperate peasants rushed into towns, but starvation lurked there as well. According to a chronicler, Day and night such complaints of distress and hunger were heard in towns and villages, and on roads and streets that would have made even a stone scream. Despite local authorities in towns having significant supplies of grain in 1696, they did not support the starving people very much. At the time when people died en masse of hunger in the granary of the state, they exported grain to Sweden and Finland where they, were, where they also had a crop failure. Some landlords and merchants reaped enormous profits from the grain trade. The miseries of the Great Famine ended only in 1698. The rich and populous parishes of central Estonia suffered especially hard. The number of people that died from hunger in Estonia is estimated at 70 to 75,000 people, or roughly 20% of the population. Most of the victims were buried where they fell, often into mass graves outside cemeteries. According to a Danish envoy that traveled throughout the Baltic countries, it would take 30 years for the affected areas to recover. But in less than three years, the Great Northern War broke out, which means no relief would be coming and that life in Estonia for the peasants would continue to be miserable for most. Spiritual life in the period of Swedish rule. The organizational foundation of the Lutheran Church could be laid only after Swedish rule became firmly rooted in Estonia. As a result of the Livonian War, the condition of the church was miserable. The buildings were destroyed or devastated, and most of the congregations had lost their clergymen. Besides material losses, Customs from the ancient religion started to spread again among the peasants. The dead were buried in old burial mounds. Baptism and church weddings were abandoned. And there were even less of those who went to communion. Pastors were lacking in education and morals. For example, 
it became evident that in, Karb- in Kerbla, beer was served instead of wine at communion. Joachim Jering proved to be the most energetic bishop in Estonia during Swedish rule. It was he who managed to establish a firm basis to the Lutheran Church in Estonia during Swedish rule. It was he who managed to establish a firm basis to the Lutheran Church in Estonia while holding his position from 1638 to 1657. In Livonia, the supremacy of Catholic Poland hindered the activities of, of the Lutheran Church. Before Livonia was subordinated to Sweden, there were only five Lutheran pastors in Livonia's rural congregations. Following the Estonian example, a Lutheran church administration called the Consistory was established in Livonia. A superintendent general with powers nearly equal to those of a bishop stood at the head of the clergy. After the University of Tartu was founded, the Livonian church administration was transferred to Tartu, and mostly university professors served as superintendent generals. The most prominent superintendent general in Livonia was Johann Fischer, from 1675 to 1699, who was called the New Livonian Apostle. The promotion of education, the publishing of popular literature, and the organizational consolidation of the church in Livonia were Fischer's main accomplishments. The establishment of Swedish rule in all of Estonia's all of Estonian territory coincided with the Thirty Year War in Europe, a confrontation of Europe's Catholic and Protestant states. As Sweden became the main supporter of Protestantism in this war, supporting the Lutheran Church was an essential part of Sweden's state policy in the following decades. Swedish authorities also regarded the Church as an institution contributing to making Estonia and Livonia more Swedish faster. This brought a great deal of attention from authorities to the local church. This included a negative attitude towards any religious movements or sect that deviated from the Orthodox Lutheran doctrine. The local Lutheran church tried to oppose the spread of of new religious movements, especially pietism which spread to the Baltic countries from, from German with uh, support from state authorities. Students known as supporters of the Reformation movement were hindered from going to universities. Some pastors supporting pietism were dismissed and deported from the country. In many respects, the fear of the spread of pietism was unreasonable and the fight against it weakened the religious movement. During Swedish rule, Lutheranism became the predominant religion in Estonia. As destroyed churches were restored, the new one and new ones built, the material state of the church improved. The level of education for pastors also improved by considerable extent. By the end of the Swedish rule, the majority of them had university education and were able to deliver sermons in Estonian. The peasants' attitude towards the church also became more favorable. In order to deal with the economic matters of congregations, church wardens were elected from among the peasants, which in turn brought the peasants closer to the church. 
In next episode, we will wrap up the Swedish era in Estonia. We start off with the fight against heresy and witchcraft before getting into education and culture. Until next time, Nagamiseni.